I want to ask you a question to begin with. Do you ever hear one of those songs that just kind of gets caught in your head and you can't get rid of it? It's like, how do I ever, how do I ever get out of this thing? And it's, it just like haunts you and haunts you. Well, I'm sure there are some of those. I'm not even going to ask you to start putting that down on the chat bar because I'd lose you for the rest of the minutes that we're together. But um, there was a little saying that came up in Facebook that did this for me. It, I didn't like it to begin with. It was kind of trite and cheesy in my opinion, and yet I can't get it out of my head. It goes something like this. There's a lot of different renditions of it. Um, don't tell your God about how big your mountains are. Tell your mountains how big your God is. Now, I would like to get rid of that. It just, it doesn't go away. And I'll tell you why. Not that I need to tell my mountains about how big my God is. That doesn't seem to be the problem. And I'm not sure my mountains are listening right now. I think some of you have already told God about the mountains that we're facing. Hopefully, in the last few months, somebody's mentioned it to him. Here's what I need to do. I need to focus over and over again and tell myself how big my God is. I need to remind myself that he's in control, that he's sovereign, that he's great, and it then needs to translate into the way I live and the way I look at life. Because I don't know about you, I, as the mountains seem bigger, I don't even, I don't even know where God is at times. And I got to be reminded again, he's got it. He's got this. He's got you and he's got me. There's a quote by um, A.W. A. Tozer that goes something like this. He says, a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. He says, it is to worship what the foundation is to the temple. Where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. I would just shorten that whole thing and just say, a, a misconception of God is like a building with a, with a weak foundation. If it's out of plumb, if it's inadequate, not maybe your structure will sooner or later collapse. Not that it just perhaps or might collapse. It, it will, it must sooner or later collapse. So for the few minutes that we have together today, I want to just kind of focus our attention on the greatness of God, the bigness of our God, the right conception of God, because practical living is so important. And for the, the liturgy of a big God to be lived out in my life makes all the difference in how I treat people and how I treat myself and how I face this world. One of my favorite preachers ever, probably one that I've uh, been influenced by more than anyone else, is a guy named Gerald Marvel. He could, he could tell a story. He, could, he has word pictures that are, are just unbelievable. He's a friend, a mentor. He's my brother-in-law. He's with the Lord right now. And um, I'm borrowing heavily from him today because one of his great messages that he's ever spoken that I've heard is on the bigness of God. And so I'm going to use a little bit of his wisdom along with the prophet Isaiah, and, uh, and we're going to see what we can do to, to kind of get our minds and our hearts turned on the bigness of our God. So if you want to follow along in the book of Isaiah, way back in the Old Testament, the 40th chapter, starting in verse 12. Um, if you want to pull it up on your phone or on the screen, I think, below here, you'll, you'll see it as well. Before I read that, let me just give you a little backdrop. Israel is at one of its lowest points in its history. It's, uh, it's this tiny little sliver of a nation 
And to the north, the Assyrians are coming with this unbelievable amount of, of pressure. They're ferocious in their, in their warriors, and they, they want to wipe them out. Up from the north, or up from the south, it's coming the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are doing their best to push Israel off the map. And from the east are coming the old Medes and Persians, along with this upstart group called the Babylonians. And they're threatened. They're frightened. They're worried about impending doom. They don't know where their God is. And more than anything, they're losing their hope. And so God speaks in one of these interesting times to the prophet Isaiah and, and says, I want you to tell the people who they are. First, tell them who I am, and then let them know who they are because of that. Because they need to realize that, that I've got them. I've, I've got them still. They're not all alone. So here's what, here's what God says to Isaiah who transfers it on to the, the people of Israel. Verse 12, Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of God or instructed him as his counselor? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare to him? I mean, that last question is haunting. I want you to catch a, this view of who God is, but how can I explain to you this incomprehensible, infinite God? Isaiah, how are you going to take this truth of who God is and to finite minds, finite beings, explain to them this awesome God that we can't really completely understand? And between God and Isaiah, they use some anthropomorphic terms, like, you know, like the arm of God, the, the eyes of God, the hand of God, to kind of give us an idea that, that God's big. Because here's what I think Isaiah wants the people of Israel to know. Here's what I think God wants us to know today. In circumstances like what we're facing, don't forget God. When things look so bleak, recognize how big he is. And that he's got you right where he wants you to be with a purpose and a plan in spite of the way it looks. And so he starts to use words like this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has, who has the oceans in his hand? One version says. Now, a hollow of the hand, let me just show you how much water I can hold in the hollow of my hand. Um, I think they'll get this a little bit later, but not a lot of water until you look at the floor, but not, not a lot of water. But Isaiah says, Isaiah holds all the waters of the earth, all the oceans in his hand. Now, when you look at our earth, it's 25,000 miles around, and three quarters of it is water. You would think that that three quarters of water would, would inundate the, the one quarter of dry land, but God has placed this thing called the moon up in the heavens, and with a gravitational pull as the earth spins on its axis, there's, there's this thing called tides that go in and out and hold the water back. And every now and again, there'll be this huge 
surge of, of water, a hurricane that, as now, hitting the, the seaboard of the East Coast or coming up from the Gulf. And with the winds and the storm, that water will start to overcome the banks and, and people will start to head for, for dry land. If God would just release the gravitational pull from the moon and, and all the tides, we would all be heading for dry land. There's, there's no reason for us not to be consumed by that water, but God knows what he's doing, and as he's doing that, he just reminds us of all this water, and he says, I, I hold it in the hollow of my hand. All the, all the oceans, the, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, the Arctic um, Ocean, the, the English Channel, the Irish Sea, the Caspian Sea, the... You, Throw the lakes and in, in, in rivers in there as well, the, the Amazon and the Nile and um, the Columbia, the Colorado, the, the Salt River. Put your pool water in there if you want. He holds it all in the hollow of his hand. He's a big God. It's huge. When I think of the scripture, I think of that old song that we used to sing years ago. Maybe you've heard it or sung to your, your children at times. He, he's got the whole world in his hand. You remember that? He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Whenever we face, and whatever we face, as fearful as it seems at times, as question marks come in front of us, God says, I'm a big God. And then he says this, with the breadth of his hand is marked off the heavens. Or some versions say, with the, he, he's, he's measured off the heavens, he's marked off the heavens with a span. I love that old King James word, a span. A span is the distance from man's little finger all the way to the thumb. For, for an average hand, it's about nine inches. I've, I've measured my span. I'm about average. I don't know if that's good or bad. But um, I, don't, I don't need a ruler or a measuring tape to, to measure this table in front of me. I, I just do with my span, and I figure 9, 18, and actually 26, it's, a, it's a, uh, 26, 27, 28 inches at the most. Good enough for me. I, I can measure that with my span. But I tell you this, if you want to know how far it is from Scottsdale, Arizona to San Diego, California, I'm not getting out on Highway 8 and measuring it with my span. God measures with his span the heavens. That's how big God is. I mean, is there anything that is more immense than the heavens, than the universe, than the millions of galaxies that are, 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 our naked eye cannot even see? I mean, when you start to measure off God's neighborhood up there, miles don't even do the job. In order to, to try to understand the, the expanse of the heavens, we've, we've come up with the, the speed of light, a light year. A light year is how far light travels in a year at 186,000 miles per second. Per second. If you would take a small size galaxy like we live in, the Milky Way. It's not even one of the larger ones. And you went from the furthest extremity of the Milky Way and traveled to the furthest other extremity of the Milky Way. 
at the speed of light, it would take 100 million years. And God says, yeah, I, I can measure that with a span. That's how big God is. I mean, when I think about that, it, it blows me away. But it helps comfort me so much because there's so many times I wonder, how, how does God have everything under control? There's almost 7 billion people. How does, he, how does he know what's going on in everybody's heart and life? Well, he's, he's a lot bigger than I give him credit. How does he deal with all the sin in the world to, to forgive and to redeem and to do all? How, how does he deal with all, all the sin in my life over and over again and forgive and forgive and forgive? And how does he, is there enough grace? Is there enough forgiveness? One of the New Testament writers said, where sin abounded, grace so much more abounds. Where, where the need for, for grace and love and forgiveness for God is needed, he, he's more than enough. He is so big, he measures the universe in span. Then he says this, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or who has weighed the mountains on the scale? I have a, have a little basket here. God, God measures the dust of the earth <laughs> in a basket. It may be a little bit larger basket than this. It may be, I don't, know the, I don't know God's size basket. But think about this. He takes all the deserts, takes the Mojave Desert, takes the Sahara Desert. He takes the deserts of China, the deserts of Spain, the deserts of... Of, uh, of Australia, takes the Sonoran Desert. He takes, he takes the dust under your, your bed and puts it all, in, which by the way, they says like 90% dead skin cells, but I don't even want to go there. But when the Bible says like likens us to dust, a little closer than we know. He takes all the dust of the earth and he can, he can measure it in one of his baskets. He can take, he can take mountains, all the mountains and and put them on a scale to balance them. He can take the Rocky Mountains and the Cascades. He can take the McDowell's and the, the Mogollon Rim. And he can, he can go to the Andes and the Alps and all the mountains of the world. And, and he balances them. That's how big God is. Do you kind of get the idea yet that Isaiah has this view of God much larger than what we do? The awe, the wonder, the majesty of our God. I love how he follows that verse up and he says, who, who has understood the mind of the Lord? Who's been able to instruct him as his counselor? And I'm going, well, I've been, I've been trying. That's how I usually pray. I'm trying to instruct him. I'm trying to counsel him. God, if you take my advice, God, this is the way I think you should look at things. This is what I think you should do. And this is when I think you should do it. Until I recognize, yeah, he's a little above my pay grade. If I'm his counselor, we're all in trouble in this universe. Who, who can fathom how he thinks, what he does, and what he's like? Then he says this about the nations. Nations are like a drop in the bucket. Now, the nations are the biggest threat to Israel at this moment that's possible. They're, they're thinking their life is over. Certainly the way that, that their nation has existed is going to change, and indeed it does change as they go into exile. These nations are the strong, 
Egypt was the strongest power in the then known world. Babylon was coming on and soon overtook Egypt and became the strongest nation in the world and was taking everybody captive. There's no greater power that they can conceive of. There's no greater threat. There's no greater fear. There's no, ever, no greater reason for anxiety than the nations out there. God says, yeah, like a drop in a bucket compared to me. A drop in the bucket. I mean, if you would go to the other side of the world, go to the highlands of India and walk into this, this insignificant village Find an insignificant hut with a family living there among thousands. And in the morning as the, the sun would, would rise in the, in, the, in the horizon of the east, maybe the mother walk, wakes up and she, she grabs a, a bucket and she starts to head out on this insignificant path through the insignificant village to an insignificant well to fill the bucket up with water to bring it back for the, the duties of the day. And on the way back, as she's walking on this dusty path, the bucket hits her, her leg and a little drop of water beads up on the edge in the rim of that bucket and poop, bops off into the, the insignificant path. Now, I want to ask you, how insignificant is that drop of water? A little dab of water on the other side of the world. It is so insignificant. It is not even worth the, worthy of the word insignificant. That's how insignificant. And God says, I, I know you guys think you're big and powerful on this earth. All the nations, all the power. Let me just tell you this. Compared to me, yeah, I drop in a bucket. Not only next to nothing, it says they're basically less than nothing compared to God. We think about all the threats we have today whether it's from a pandemic, whether it's corporate power, national powers, world powers, superpowers, nuclear powers. And we just think there's, there's nothing greater in this world. And God says, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is me. And throughout history, he's been able to, to, to sovereignly have control over the earth and all the nations. So much so that the tide of a nation can change in an instant, from the power of our God. That's how big he is. That's how huge he is. When I, when I think about his, his amazing power, I think, well, what, I'm, so, I'm so small. We're so little. What, does he, how can a God that big and that powerful even know who I am? And I love that he preceded this beautiful poetry of God's power with the words in verse 11 that kind of sets it all up. This is what it says about God. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Before I describe to you the, the might and the power of God, Isaiah says, let me just set it up with this. He tends to you. He cares for you. He feeds you. You are his people. He loves you. He's redeemed you. He forgives you. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He will feed you and care for you and tend for you like a, a shepherd does his flock. Like a little lamb who, who's picked up by the shepherd and carried. He carries you. 
next to his heart. And he gently leads you. I don't know about you, but when I look at this time of season that we're in, and all the things that we fear and face and tremble at and wonder about, and all the stories that are going around, I need to remind myself, I have a God who's not only big, I have a God who tends for me and cares for me and holds me. How big is God? I don't know. I, I don't know that we'll ever, ever comprehend how big God is. I'm sure there are parts of God that, that are way beyond our comprehension. How big is God? This I know. He's big enough. He's big enough for you. He's big enough for me. He's big enough for McDowell Mountain Church. He's big enough for our nation. He's big enough for our world. He's got you and me, brother, you and me, sister, got the whole world in his hands. Let's pray. If you don't mind, I don't even know where you are at home. I, I feel like standing up, and that's not easy for me. I feel like standing up in the presence of God. How do you respond to a God that big? I want to stand in awe of him. Lord, just say, if you want to stand with me, Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We honor you. We recognize you as a, as a God bigger than any of our circumstances. We want to live out that, that, that bigness. The amazing thing to me, God, is that what we've known as you being the great creator of the universe, we also know as the Savior. And in our Savior, all these promises are yes and amen. And in Jesus, and through Jesus, and in his name, we pray and we believe you, our God, will make a way when there seems to be no way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.